This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Texas Rangers. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington. Across from me in his lumberjack shirt is Evan Grant. And to my left, suavely decorated in a pullover sweater, David Moore. Hi, guys. How's it going? Um, that's quite a color combination you've got Speaking with of the fashion brown, over here. black, and gray plaid. Don't, be careful. This was given to me by, nope. my, by my family. No colors that go together, actually. Yes, but your family also told me they don't like you. Colors that go together. David, I said that you were suavely decorated in this sweater, and then you come back. But you at sounded me. disingenuous. Suavely? Oh, I don't believe. What was the adjective? <laughs> suavely. Suavely. Oh, suavely. Okay. Yeah. What were you calling it? It came across like suavely. Hey, listen, just make up your mind on, on which microphone you're going to use, okay? All right, let's get some moho going here. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Moho. Did you get any grief over that? No, because nobody apparently listened. <laughs> Got his moho working. The manager search, does that have some moho going for it? Ah, it's picking up steam. Um, they've interviewed six guys now. and um, uh, Even the son of a former ranger. Yes, uh, they had been doing deal, deal diligence. <laughs> Be careful. Oh, okay. Be careful. Whoa. They were, they were checking we're on what type of pickles David here. Bell likes. Um, yeah, they, they interviewed David Bell yesterday and Rocco Baldelli. Uh, I would not be surprised if Rod Barajas interviews um, sometime this week. And uh, they will interview Dusty Wathen, I believe, sometime this week. Third base coach for the Philadelphia Fighting Phillies. Fighting Phillies. So you would anticipate at least two to three more interviews this week? I would. I think there's probably going to be at least two more interviews to go. Um, and that's... I don't know exactly like where it stands on Wakamatsu, whether they're going to give him a formal a, interview yeah. at the end of this process or if they feel like they've done they've the interviewing done it. Yeah, piecemeal here. Um, but I really think that what we're looking at is either the Rangers name a manager on Monday, uh, right before the World Series begins, or you'll get no official announcement until after the World Series ends. Because I believe we're toward the end of the process as far as their decision being made. Well, I, you know, I think I think what the World Series kind of the embargo during the World Series does is the Rangers can take this whole week to have completed all their interviews and actually catch their breath a little bit, unless other clubs start to move in on their candidates, and then maybe they've got to speed up the process a little bit. But the World Series would in theory, offer them the ability next week to sit down and really hash some stuff out uh, and and try and find themselves the perfect guy, or if they feel like they don't have it, to conduct a couple more interviews. So Joe Girardi has in, interviewed with the Reds as well. Who else 
among the Rangers, interviews, have interviewed with anybody. Well, David Bell obviously is interviewed with the Reds. He's from Cincinnati. Buddy Bell, his dad, uh, works for the Reds. Uh, Baldelli, I believe, has interviewed perhaps with Minnesota. Brandon Hyde, who interviewed for the Rangers job, I know is interviewed with L.A. Uh, Joe Espada, who interviewed for the Rangers job, I think is going to is is get, also interviewed with L.A. Also, um, I, I what I've found in this process is it seems like even though most of the guys are kind of first year managerial candidates, it seems like the six teams that have openings are mostly interviewing from the same group of guys. Uh, I think the Rangers' wild card is Jace Tingler because he's their internal candidate. Um, but I don't know that anybody that the Rangers are interviewing, maybe with the exception of Rod Barajas, I, I haven't seen Barajas's name connected to anybody else just yet. Maybe those are their two kind of unique candidates uh, in the process. But everybody else, I think, has been connected at least with one of the other jobs. And I, and I think... I think I did something on Twitter the other day where I just kind of like ranked the attractiveness of the six jobs because I think in some regard that's going to also come down sure. to how these jobs are determined. I think the Angels job is the most attractive of the jobs. Sure. No question. Uh, you've got the best player in baseball. You've got Shohei Otani there. Uh, you've got a good living environment in Southern California. Uh, but I also think the Angels have a heavy favorite in Eric Chavez, who's already in their organization, managed the end of the year at, at AAA Salt Lake. And so I think if Chavez ends up going to the Angels, as, as I suspect he will, I think the Rangers have kind of their pick of, of the other candidates. I think they are the second most attractive job here because they still do have some talent. They've got a long ways to go, but they've got some talent. Uh, they've got a GM who is pretty secure. Uh, they've got a new stadium coming online in 2020, and they will have significant financial resources to go out and spend on free agency. Uh, and then the other clubs are all smaller markets with varying levels of, uh, in the same kind of disarray that the Rangers found themselves in at the end of this year. So I think that it, that it goes Ranger, uh, Angels, Rangers, twins and then you can the reds blue jays you can mm -hmm. juggle those however you want and then the orioles because they need a man they need a gm first and they've got all kinds of dysfunction in their front office that's the most unattractive position i might i might rank that uh the blue jays a little higher okay you don't like canada is that why you i think you i, I think that's the, the the problem you run into there is that if you can take one of the other jobs that doesn't require you having to live outside of the country for, for six months or eight months out of the year, mm -hmm. um, guys are going to. That's a significant discussion point yeah, for some candidates. Absolutely. Now, let, let me throw this out for, for sake of argument because I remember we were talking about the, the timing of when they made the decision with Bannister. And it was, well, if you know you're going to make this move, Go ahead and make it early. That gets you ahead of some of the other clubs that are going to be looking for managers and gives you a leg up. Do you abdicate that if you don't make a move before the World Series starts? Because even though certainly you can still have discussions with all of these candidates, but the longer you – I mean, will, will that indicate that 
the advantage that the Rangers had going into this. One, they didn't exercise. Or two, they're sitting here, and if a candidate's not named by the World Series, they're they're a little ambivalent here. They they don't have a they don't feel they have a strong choice in order to make a move right now. Well, let me just say one thing about the whole World Series embargo. It's stupid. Uh, sure, baseball does not want clubs making announcements during the World Series. But here's the bottom line: if the World Series is the Milwaukee Brewers and the Houston Astros, people in the Dallas Fort Worth market. Uh, which is one of the largest markets in, in Major League Baseball, they're only going to be interested in who the Rangers' name is their manager. So there's no reason why that would infringe on the World yeah. Series. Well, there's a lot of Astros fans still here. There's a lot of Astros fans, but they're not going to care about who the Rangers' manager is. So uh, there's, it, it's not, uh, you know, if this was the Yankees or the Red Sox, it's one thing, but these teams that are naming managers. But this is also from a bygone era when you didn't have internet and multiple media outlets to and every media outlet was at yes, the world series and every media outlet was there focused on one thing it was much different it was a much different world media world than it is at the moment so but the practice but the practicality is that sometime during the world series they could name their they could come to their decision have an agreement in place and just not make an official announcement sure but word will leak out uh it's kind of a disjointed way to do things i do think that at the end of this week, I think their candidate list is good enough that at the end of this week, once they've gotten through everybody, I think they will have a good enough manager candidate to to choose from. The, the pool will be okay. And whether uh, – I'm sure there's going to be some degree of, of talk with the other GMs and some sharing of information about, hey, which direction are you going, which direction mm-hmm. are you going um, – I don't think that the that the World Series or the lack of an announcement at the start of the World Series is going to be could be regarded in any way as lack of lack of decision, lack of decisiveness. Uh, the only thing that would indicate that is if all of a sudden, sometime during next week, we start hearing that the Rangers are interviewing more candidates, or or if other clubs are starting to name correct candidates and they're not when they were right. ahead of the curve if, if you see if you see you know Baldelli take a job or David Bell take a job or one of these other guys that the Rangers have interviewed before the Rangers make an announcement it's either it, it's either an indication that somebody was more aggressive or that the Rangers were moving in a different direction mm-hmm. I gotta tell you I'm not uh, I'm not so sure that uh, they've got a list of good candidates we don't know that you seem nonplussed over here, Kevin. Well, yeah, he's, not, show. he's not impressed. Well, I, I can't get a word in edgewise between you two guys. <laughs> That's the biggest problem. Uh, Which is how he gauges everything. Absolutely. Wow. How much am I able okay, to Okay, so the Rangers Absolutely. don't have good candidates because David no. and I are having a conversation. No, we don't know that they have good candidates. It's just it's just like when, you, when you're out to hire a guy who's not been a manager before at the major league level, uh, you're you're thinking this guy might be good, but you don't know that, right. you know. And it's just like with Jeff Bannister, they thought they had a good manager, thought they had a guy they liked. They, you know, John Daniels will say, or he did say, you know, we made the right hire. It just didn't work out over time. Well, that that was a pretty fast nose dive. Uh, yeah, it was. You know, to say that you made the right hire and then all of a sudden he wasn't the right hire. You know, how does that happen over four years? Well, and I think they they thought they. I think in some regards they had a template of Clint Hurdle. Yeah. And they were trying to hire Clint Hurdle. And so they hired the guy who sat next to it. 
hired the guy who sat next to him who who sounded like him and, yeah. and looked a little bit like him. And um, I don't think that was a great way to go about the hiring process. Uh, we can sit here and debate whether or not Bannister was the right move at the right time. I think in the short term, uh, he, he was the right answer. But I don't know that in the long term, uh, he was going to be the guy to take this team to a world championship if he didn't win it in the first two years. Because I think his personality uh, and I think the way he he communicated, at least my give and take with him, was often very much you felt like you were in a debate. You felt like... He liked to engage you in a debate. He liked to engage in debate. And I think that can come across as, as kind of heavy. And, and that's was, the kind of thing that, that players... You know they want to breathe. Yeah, but so my my issue here is that you you get one sense of a guy, uh, the sense that we had or what we were told about Jeff Bannister and who he was and and what he was, and then when you but you get this guy under a microscope of 162 games, it's hard to figure it out. I mean, one of the things that they, they loved about Ron Washington was how much he loved to work and how he worked. And we see I see videos every week when the Braves were playing a washout hitting ground balls to Dansby Swanson or, or Ozzie Albas. Um, and it, it's a reminder, this is what this guy loves to do. You wrote this, Kevin. You know, that this is a guy who was a coach at heart. Right. Um, and I think that we're seeing, okay, he's out there loving to do that instruction, spending a half an hour out there. He couldn't do that when he was with the Rangers or it had to be real, real early work. And so you, there is something that when you go from – and I don't know if this if this translates the same way in the NFL, but there is something when you go from an instructor to the manager, you lose an awful lot of time. You lose an awful lot of ability to do the things that made you stand out as a coach. And what consumes your time is not necessarily what you like doing. Or what you feel is productive yeah, for the organization. Exactly. See, and I think what it takes, and I always remember, I always think of, of a guy like David McWilliams at Texas when they hired him as the head coach. Everybody thought, oh, his, this was yeah. Daryl Royal's favorite player, mm-hmm. you know, and this is the guy. He's got the personality for it. He's going to be great. He he did have a great, does have a great person. He's a great guy. But I remember one of the things he complained about as a when he became a head coach uh, at Texas was that oh, he just missed the on Friday nights going and talking, sitting around and talking to the players. You know, that's what I used to do. I go and check and bed check and we joke and talk and stuff like that. And he just missed all that part of it. And he just wasn't a head coach. And and, and that was the problem for him. And that's, and to me, the issue, what I'm going to be looking for in a manager, I think, is I'm going to try the most even keel guy I can find. A guy who's really secure in who he is, not so secure that it comes off you know, as arrogance, you know, I don't want that. And there's a fine line in all this. But I want a guy who's going to feel like he's not going to be challenged, you know, by somebody uh, that that I'm not going to try to one-up the players. Um, I'm not going to try to one-up the media. You know, I'm going to be a guy that can, that can that can just remain on an even as even a keel as possible. Well, one thing I think that – Well, but you also need a presence as well. You I mean, need, I think you have to balance things Well, you here. do. I, I, I agree with consistency and but even keel, the, but you need a presence. I think or, the or way to get presence to with players right now is to earn their respect. And yeah. it's, not to, it's not to demand this or demand that or, or – Because Bannister was a presence. Inspirational mm-hmm. quotes or any of that. And yeah. it's not necessarily to look the part. I think this is where the presence of – Michael Young, Darren Oliver, Colby Lewis, all hopefully involved in different elements of this managerial search will come into play because these are guys who are, have been in the room for a long period of time right. as players. And 
they, I trust their instincts on, okay, how will this guy communicate to a player? Right. Uh, the last time the Rangers had this managerial search, you know, Michael had been in a special assistant role for less than, less than a, a year. I don't think he had the same voice that he probably has now. Darren wasn't even in that role. Colby was still playing. And they didn't really have that. Nolan was gone. There was no kind of contemporary player for them to really go to and say, how will this play in this clubhouse? How will this work out? And so I do think they have that now in the search process. I think that was something that was missing last time. Then let me ask you this, though. Let's, if we're going to look at models and what to do here, uh, certainly you could do a lot worse than the, than the Astros model. Models are good. No, no, no I, I get that, but I'm just saying, like a guy, a guy like Jeff Lou now. No, he's he's not. So blanket statement. Are, replica, <laughs> replications are bad. Models are good. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Uh, and that's what I'm looking at, though. Is you know, what, what, how did the Brewers do this? How did they Astros? Now the Astros did it because they had great draft picks, you know, for several yes. years, and they did a good job with them, you know. But they have also got a very highly, you know, analytics uh, based model and uh, what they're doing. And I don't. I'm betting that they don't care. What uh, ex players think? I, you know, Jeff Jeff Lunau said something um, a week ago, I think, about talking about culture and that they're they're valuing culture more. Um, and I think they do value culture in the clubhouse. They may not in the front office. They may not when yeah. it comes to making decisions. But I do think they value how the players work together. I think both you and I. I mean, we talked about this last week. You wrote about this I, last week. I wrote about it, you know, in the wake of the managerial firing. This is an opportunity for free corporate espionage. You have the ability to bring guys in. You brought in Brandon Hyde from the Cubs. How have you guys done things for the last four years? You brought, you're bringing in Joe Espada from the Astros. How have you guys done things for the last X number of years? Joe Girardi had a decade with the Yankees as they continued to expand their analytics department. All these elements are really good in the process and it hopefully gives you a better picture of how these other clubs did it. But I still think it comes down to ultimately the manager has got to come. He's, he's a, he's a really high profile position. Jason Garrett's a really high profile guy in the NFL as a head coach of a team in, in major league baseball. Now the manager is a high profile guy, but a mid-level manager because the GMs have so much carry so much weight they make all the personnel decisions. The manager really has no say in those. They they give the manager information about how they want players used. Uh, the analytics department has an impact on that. And so it's got to be a guy who can communicate up and a guy who can communicate down. And I do think that's where the even keel comes into it. You've got to have energy, but you can't be talking down to somebody and talking up to somebody else. You've got to be able to communicate. And, and where coming up in the system prepares you – for that skill set, which is what you run into in a, a lot of sports. I mean, uh, NFL, outstanding coordinators doesn't always translate right. to being a head coach. But, oh, no. but, but, it's, but it's not it's just, just sports either. It's not just sports either. It's all industries. You move people up because of their expertise, right. but then they go into a management role, or they were never really about management. They built a department. They gave it a department on identity. They did something you know, that, that got them noticed and made them valuable, and then – the Peter corporation Brinsley. takes them out of that yeah. and says, well, now we'll put you over other people. They have a skill well, set. Well, your strength was never over other people. And, and, and again, how do you come up now where really managers, like you say, are middle management? And the other thing is, you know, used to be, you, oh, well, we've got these minor league managers and they're managing. Well, a minor league manager 
he's got to communicate with younger kids. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, you can still, with those younger kids, give them directives and expect them to just follow them. Sure. But it's also, you're not making a whole a ton of strategy decisions. It's more about player development. So the, the skill set for becoming a major league manager, it's really hard to define what that is. Jeff Bannister talked to, if, if the Rangers had an off day in the middle of the week, Jeff Bannister talked to the media 12 times a week. You know, once before a game and once after a game every day. Uh, as a bench coach, as a, as a position coach, if you talk to that guy once or twice a week, yeah. it was huge. Uh, and that was 10 minutes after a game, 15 minutes before a game. He's got the manager show, which is usually a 10 or 15-minute exercise mm-hmm. with Eric Nadell. He's got a TV segment. I mean, it's a good hour of your of your working day at the ballpark. And the same thing goes for a, a coach like Garrett. How many times is he in front of you guys now? Well, not not to that extent, but yeah, you're but talking. But still, you're talk, you talk to him four uh, times a week. Five, six times a week. Yeah. Yeah. And how many coordinators in the NFL actually can speak to you? With the game five times a week. That doesn't count as radio show. That doesn't count as TV right. show. But And the coordinators never talk. Uh, once a week. Once a week. Yeah. So, And just the coordinators and the um, the assistant coaches have to be cleared by the club in order to talk upon request. And now they basically turn down all of those requests. And I, th- <laughs> I think the teams, whether it's – in MLB, it's a little bit easier to talk to guys. But I do think in the NFL you're not giving and, – and at the college level too, I think you're not giving your guys training for – head coaching positions, no, if not. you don't expose them, expose them to the media uh, more often, and not because we're we're so important, but I think it's what they're going to have to do in a head coaching role, and I think you can get great experience by watching how they communicate publicly because they are going to be the face sure. of your club. All right, let's, let's do a little history search here uh, on Rangers managers and uh, because – Here's what, this has long intrigued me by the fact that it's not a it's not an exemplary list. Uh, it's not been for one thing that you know they were hiring and firing them pretty fast uh, back in the uh, the Corbett uh, Short Childs era. I will say this: I've been here 22 years. Yeah, uh, and I know that's about 21 longer than you would like for me to have yes, been here. That's true, but. Maybe twenty one and a half. Oates, Naren, Kevin's not alone in that either. Oates, we point out, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty unanimous. Oates, Naren, Showalter, Washington, Bannister. Yeah, five managers in twenty two years. That's about on average. That's so. That's one every four years. Right. It's about on average for a major league team. I think earlier in their in their history, you uh, know, it, was, in, it was a lot faster back in the old in days. the short Corbett, uh, Childs, Gaylord period. You, we, what I wanted to—it was interesting to me because I read something the other day that indicated that the Rangers have never hired anybody who had who had uh, been to a World Series. I think there was a, in there Daryl Johnson had been to a World Series, but he was only in it as an interim manager. Uh, he, as, as a manager, they've never hired a, a World Series winning manager. Yeah, is what you're saying? Correct. No. And of course, they just zoomed through those first ones. You know, I'll just go through real fast here. Of course, there was Ted Williams and Waddy Herzog, who was fired, so uh, they could hire Billy Martin. The, the famous quote: "I'd fire my mother to hire Billy Martin." Uh, then Frank Lucchese, Eddie Stanky. Let, let's let's one say game. this. Let's say this. Whitey Herzog won a World Series. What? Later. After the Rangers. Billy Martin won a World Series. After the Rangers. After the Rangers. Yeah, and that was it. Those two. And those are two great managers. Uh, 
And if they'd stuck with Whitey Herzog, who, who knows how that would have changed this organization had they not let him go to hire Billy Martin because it certainly went on and did a great job right. uh, in, in a couple of places. Uh, but he also had in St. Louis where he went. He ran it. He ran it, yeah. and they had a great farm system, and yeah, they invested did. in that Which farm they did system. Not have well, of course, he had run it in the Mets system, too, Correct. and that's what he had been. And he had been the guy who built those great Mets uh, teams and the teams that went to the World Series. Uh, then, you know, you ran through a, a bunch of guys Which is here. what general managers are doing now. Now right. you don't have managers who are doing that. You have right. general managers who are doing that. So. Uh, but my, my point is that you, you can go down this list, and it's just it's not very impressive. Uh, and, they, you know, and until you – and I would make the case that the two most successful managers they've ever had were Johnny Oates and Buck uh, – not Buck, but Johnny Oates and, and Ron Washington. Uh, those are the guys that have got all the playoff appearances except for uh, two, right? Uh, Johnny has three, and Ron had – Three, three and then uh banister had two mm-hmm. and uh so and and those guys as we've said before were very much players uh managers they were they were guys who who let the, the clubhouse run itself and, and it was an older clubhouse and that was easier to do now um i i don't know with a younger clubhouse now it's just it's a, it is different from what it was both with washington and with oats uh johnny had a really veteran club um uh and and Ron did too but not I don't think it's as much to the extent that that Johnny did. Jeff kind of had a mixture of those two things uh here the last couple of years and clearly it, you know it was not working. Uh players didn't like it, uh, didn't like the environment. So it'll be interesting to me to see what that means then in the development of uh of where this organization is going is to see because you know you can get you can start floating out there where you know I, I get the whole idea of we're going to hire young guys, young up and coming managers, but there are a lot of reasons. There's a lot of ulterior motives for that too. Among them, these guys are cheaper. Sure, uh, these guys are going to let us do what we want to do. We can, we yeah, and, and we don't have to. They work. will defer to us. They more, will defer right? to us. Yeah. We gave them their big break, and so they're going to have to listen to us. The dynamics are different. You know, Absolutely. The, so there's the a, there's a lot of different things. That's why I mentioned a guy like you know like a John Gibbons who who was fired in, in Toronto. Uh, always seemed to me very much a player's manager, uh, and, but but he's an older guy and don't know if he would go for that kind of thing now. Uh, you, you know, who knows what he would go for? Uh, I don't even know if he wants, wants to keep managing. But certainly Mike Sosha uh, was a, was an old-school manager, uh, also a guy very successful. If the Rangers decide they want to hire him, I'd say that was great. I, it won't fly because, because they would see him as a far too strong of a personality uh, to, to even consider him for that position, which is a shame to me because if you're talking about a guy dealing with the media now, uh, Mike's one of the all-time greats. Right. You know, just well, I, I, you can get tired of it, but I've I've seen him answer questions for thirty minutes about some. You know, there was a uh, I can't even remember who it was with the Angels. It was a left fielder. He'd done something screwy, and these and these uh, reporters from LA. I was over there in the dugout, and they're asking these questions. They're asking. They're asking. They're asking. And I'm thinking, man, if this had been one of the last six Rangers managers, he'd either blown a fuse by now. Or he would have just said, "I'm not talking about that anymore," you know. And Mike just kept on answering the questions, you know. And it was, it was just he was very much in control, very very sure of himself. Well, I mean, that's that to me is the most important element of dealing with the media is you have to be in control, yeah, without trying to force control on anybody. And that means that a lot of times you have to answer questions that you've already answered and just be patient and, and yeah. answer them. Um, 
because guys are going to try and ask in different ways or they're going to try and get a different bit of information with with similar with a similar question uh, and when you get rattled all of a sudden you're tipping your hand you've got to be a poker player as a manager right and, and Mike uh, you know Mike is is in that regard um, he was always in control but I also think that the other element that's really important is how you deal with the front office how you deal with players and he was often stronger than the GM. He won over the GM oh, at least one. Uh, yeah, uh, Depoto. He 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 won. He beat him out over Depoto. And I, you know, I I think basically uh, when the other GMs left, I think it was more because Mike had more control than they did. They they weren't necessarily against coexisting with Mike. Yeah, but Mike had more control than the GM did. And and I think for him to find the right place, either you know after being in LA for eighteen years, I think. He's either going to have to find some place that's going to like give him control that is really running against what the industry norm is right now, or he's going to have to significantly change. I, I, Where do you think he ends up? I think he's going to take a year. I, I, I think, I think all of these guys who were let go this year will be out of the game uh, for a year, and I think where Mike will go will be a club that has a chance to win a World Series in the short term, yeah. eventually. Yeah, I think, that's, that's not, I think that sounds right. You know, I haven't heard Bannister's name connected with anybody, and I've run that past a couple of people. And, and what I've gotten back is I think that that's, it's not uncommon for guys to have basically have to sit out a year and, and kind of regather themselves, give themselves some time to think about, you know, what they want to do differently. Well, they could do a lot worse than uh, go TV route, too. Certainly, Mike. I don't. I, I don't. I'm not sure why Mike wouldn't be. Maybe. Maybe somebody will bring him up for the World Series. Uh, but he. He would seem to be great for that role. You like Mike? He gave you quotes. Well, I like. Yeah, I like him. I like. I just like him because I liked him as. First of all, I liked him as a player, and he came up in a great organization, and yes, he was he a great catcher, and he and he's a smart guy, and he and uh, you know. I just always felt like that, that Mike was in control. You, you talked about a presence, and 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 you know, there's that's the to me. He's the kind of presence I don't have to assert myself too much. Mm-hmm. I, I'm Mike Sosha, and this is enough. And and I, and I think that that's uh, uh, I think that's a really valuable. I, I never got the sense that the players and and you know the Angels players were like, oh, Mike's you know he's too much. You know, I, I never I never got that impression. I think I think I think there were a lot of guys when they got out of there they felt like they were Well, I think the catchers it. probably yeah. felt that he way. He was very hard on catchers. <laughs> he was very hard on catchers. Never was never found a catcher really that he was he no. was content with. That's not unusual not for any coach you played in a Benji particular Molina, position. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ben yeah. I think Benji, you know, did for him a yeah. really good job and I think after that there was just nobody. Yeah, and and you know, but that's that's okay with me. You know, I they're all going to have some kind of shortcomings and and uh, and I always felt like the problem in that there was the fact that they never had any pitching. You know, the guys they had were either hurt, uh, the, you know, their starting pitching or their bullpen stunk or whatever it was. You know, it's a it's an unbelievable thing to me that that baseball needs to step in and say you are wasting the greatest player in baseball. Hey, I, I've been doing some research for something, and I'll just I'll just I'm just going to run run through something for you here. Speaking of that, with the um, with the Angels, because people want to get. Um, People people often like to get upset with the Rangers, and um, let's see, this is the year that the Angels, uh, <laughs> the Angels 
drafted Mike Trout in 2009. Right. So that's automatically a great draft. Okay. Right. They also got Garrett Richards. In the same – in the in, first round, yeah. Garrett Richards was a supplement. They had Supplemental five, five first-round picks. Yeah. Randall Grichek's an established major leaguer, role player. Trout, Garrett Richards, Tyler Skaggs, who really didn't pitch much for the Angels. Uh, they also drafted Patrick Corbin in the second round. Is that right? So, I mean, they literally drafted the nucleus of a championship rotation – and the greatest player of this generation in in, in one draft. And, and those they, were not even high picks. Uh, not for their round, no, no. No. But despite all of that, they've managed to get to – Mike Trout's played in three playoff games in his career. Yeah, that's so, a sin, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, something ain't right there. Yeah. Now, whether that's development, um, evaluation, uh, managing, something's not right. Because to have that kind of talent come out of that draft – and not be able to do anything with it, it, it's amazing. But I think you could look almost every year you look at the – I think that the Angels are always overrated, uh, and I think it's principally because of that, uh, because of, of Mike Trout. Uh, but if you look at the rotation, it's always got holes in it, and uh, their bullpen always has holes but, in it. But that was three starters right there. No, I, mean, I know. That's a championship rotation. I know, it, it, but it, it's just amazing to me that – and a lot of it's been injuries. A lot of those guys have been hurt. Garrett Richards really hurt a lot. Uh, but, but anyway – um, We've done enough. Any more We've angels talk here? No, no. I think that's enough angels. Dave, talk. David's David's tuned out. <laughs> Bored with that? No, no. It's just interesting, you know, because you watch other organizations, you, you get so hyper focused on on the locals, and then you and it's, it's a little bit like the Cowboys in the in the NFC East, where everybody else stinks, and and the, the Eagles are starting to get a little bit better, trying to look more like themselves uh, for but, one game, yeah, for one game. But uh, but but I think that uh, Carson Wentz's numbers are, are going up, so. So I think that's enough about the Rangers, isn't it? Fellas, we need to move on. Yes. So sign us out of here. Sign us out of here. So for everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks. <laughs> What's low energy? My well, gosh, that was it? Yeah, that's it. All right. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.